I love a good mystery, and so does everyone else. In fact, everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. I know that our listeners will absolutely love this game because you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder, and you're becoming a detective. You're looking for clues, and each scene will lead you to a new thrilling storyline. This is a great way to engage your observation skills to uncover key pieces of information that lead you on to many chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Right now, I'm in the process of interviewing family members, and this is bringing me back, just so you know, to my days in law enforcement, and I'm having such a blast with it because it is so much more lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast contains sensitive topics and discussions. Listener discretion is advised. When premature babies begin dying at a British hospital, one nurse always seems to be present. This is the Lucy Letby story. Amy, this is quite the story we have today. This might be one of our most requested, would you say? I, in fact, went through every one of our requests, and this is the most requested case to date. So I knew that we had to absolutely cover it. But before we get into this case, I just want to say a big thank you to everyone who came and saw us at CrimeCon. And it was really cool meeting so many of our supporters Patrons came by. We saw Alex, Victoria, and Karma. We have some fabulous listeners who came by. AJ came by. Unfortunately, you were gone. And Suze. Suze was wearing our t-shirt, wasn't she? Suze was wearing our t-shirt. Really (laughs) incredible. I met Erna and Ilfa, and they recommended a case from Iceland. Mm -hmm. So ladies, don't worry. I put it on the list. In many ways, though, it was just great to have these wonderful conversations, not only about cases we've covered, but about missing people whose cases we can highlight. You know, sometimes you worry about CrimeCon. It's it's kind of entertainment, right? But what I saw a lot at this CrimeCon was a lot of opportunities for victims and their family members to get their voices heard and make connections with media outlets they desperately need, which I appreciated. I agree. 
Also, I thought it was nice to hear more of a discussion as well about ethics as it pertains to true crime entertainment in terms of documentaries or podcasts. Mm -hmm. I was hearing a different tone about the responsibility that we have, and I really liked hearing that conversation. Back to this case today, I do want to put a trigger warning in right here. This episode will revolve around child deaths. So if that's something as a listener you feel you just can't handle right now, maybe skip this episode. As many of our listeners who've suggested this case know, the most unbelievable and upsetting thing about this particular story is just how many babies died and were harmed. And could it have been prevented or stopped sooner? And the big question is, how do we explain this when it comes to truly the most helpless and innocent victims, right? So today I'll do my best, though not with all answers here, to try to both explain the story and uncover the potential causes of crimes like these that seem inexplicable. Let's turn now to a discussion of Lucy Leppy. Lucy Leppy was born in Hereford, England, just on the England-Wales border in 1990 to parents John and Susan Leppy. Lucy's mother Susan was 29 years old when she gave birth to her only child, and she reportedly endured a very difficult childbirth. Lucy's father, John, who was 44 years old at the time, was very happy that both his new daughter and wife survived the difficult delivery. According to neighbors and others who knew the family, Susan and John doted on their only child, who seemed like a relatively pleasant and happy child. Lucy did very well in school and later went on to pursue a degree in nursing where she graduated from the University of Chester in 2011 with her BSN, Bachelor of Science in Nursing. Lucy got a job with the Countess of Chester Hospital, and that was around 100 miles away from her hometown. And though they were not thrilled about their daughter moving so far away from home, the Leppies supported Lucy's decision and even helped her purchase her first home near the hospital where she worked following her graduation. Lucy was very excited to be starting her first job in the hospital's neonatal intensive care unit, commonly referred to those who work in the field as the NICU. Though Lucy was happy to begin a new job, she had a new home, which she shared with her two rescue cats. She told friends that her parents were upset that she was choosing to live so far away and that they were constantly guilting her for not taking a job closer to home. I'm sorry, Megan, how far away was it? About 100 miles. Okay. I live about 120 miles from my mom. I think that's a healthy distance. I do too. <laughs> I think it's a fine distance, but... I'm also an only child, and I'm sure my mother would disagree. But nonetheless, Lucy was happy, and it appeared that she was thriving. She was working in the NICU and enjoying an active social life, going out with friends, vacationing, dancing, and really doing all the things, Amy, that a young, successful woman in her 20s and 30s would do. Mm -hmm. That was until 2015, when a sudden spike in infant deaths and near deaths was observed on Lucy's unit. It left everyone asking, what was going on with the newborn babies in this hospital? So let's talk about some of these tragedies and other incidents that began to trigger alarm bells in Chester Hospital's NICU. On June 22nd, 2015, a full-term baby girl died just 36 hours after being born at the hospital. Amy, for point of reference, she was the third case in only two weeks. Now, that's probably a lot on its own, but this is even more significant because in 2014, 
there had only been three deaths for the entire year in the NIC unit. And now they had three in 14 days. And what was the cause of death? Well, before I get to that, let me just tell you that the head doctor noticed that one nurse, Lucy Leppi, had been present for all three incidents. Mm -hmm. But there was no action that was taken at this stage and really no conclusions to be drawn from this. But two months later, in August 2015, strange findings were discovered for a pair of premature twin boys. One twin, Amy, died. And just a few days later, the surviving twins' sugar levels dropped dangerously low. Now, the blood test for the surviving twin revealed dangerously high levels of insulin, for which there was no natural explanation. So that seems like enough of a reason to start a thorough investigation. You maybe would think, but they did not. Three months later after that, in October 2015, another premature death of a baby girl sparked concerns. And Lucy's association with the cases was noted for a second time. But again, no official investigation commenced. Now, did this baby also have elevated levels of insulin? I'm not sure if this baby had insulin. Um, I'm going to talk about a couple of the problems that were found. Many babies were found with dangerous levels of insulin, but there was also others that it appeared had been injected with air and still one or two that might have been force fed. In April of 2016, another set of twin boys experienced unexplained ailments with one boy's sugar plunging to dangerously low levels and the other boy collapsing before resuscitation. I know we're early on here, but I'm not understanding how this is not setting off alarm bells. If it's so rare to have infant mortality, you said about three per year, and there's this many in a short period of time, how is that not enough for them to actually shut down the unit and figure out what's going on, start sending children to other hospitals? It was high, but it wasn't that they had three per every year. It was that there were three the, the preceding year, so one year before. Okay. I agree with you, though. And there were people, by the way, we'll get to that, who did sound alarm bells. Okay. Some of those bells went unheard. So, so far, they're just attributing this to like sudden infant death syndrome? Well, remember, some of them did not die and some of them just mm -hmm. had low sugar levels. These are okay. premature babies, so they do have certain ailments. So I think at this point, it was just undetermined what happened mm -hmm. um, and still kind of a mystery to the staff as well. After the twins, just two months later, in June of 2016, one boy in a set of triplets inexplicably died after collapsing in the NICU just one day after the death of one of his brothers, meaning that two of the triplets had just died. Are they attributing this to some genetic disorder? No. Since they're siblings? They did not attribute it to a genetic disorder, but this is a lot of death happening, and Lucy Lepi was reportedly present during all of these deaths. I don't think they knew that immediately. I think they had to go through and chart this all. Now, there are reports, Amy, that Lucy was visibly struggling with the deaths, so much so that one of the doctors sent her private text messages of sympathy, telling her that the deaths were not her fault and that he would trust her with his own children. She'd sent some texts to some colleagues as well, expressing her distress and grief for the deaths of these babies that had been under her care. So at this point, was it just absolutely terrible luck that Lucy happened to be caring for all of these dying babies? Or was there something more sinister happening? Now, interestingly, Amy, there were reports that this doctor who'd sent the comforting text was actually in some kind of relationship with Lucy, even though he was married. 
So it begs the question of whether Lucy really was struggling with all these deaths or if it was perhaps she was preying on his and other colleagues' sympathy to keep her relationship with a married man. Hmm. You know, what was the actual motive here and what exactly was going on is still unknown. Regardless, the head of the neonatal unit, Dr. Breary, had grown suspicious of Lucy as the babies who died again always happened to die on her shift. There was no other common thread, I'm assuming. I I like that you said that. So without any other actual evidence, Dr. Breary wanted to test his theory that Lucy had a hand in these infant deaths. So he told Lucy that she could have the next day off because of the trauma she seemed to be suffering. Mm -hmm. And he really wanted to see if Lucy was gone, would the babies be okay? But much to his shock, Lucy came back to work the next day, which was odd. And on that day, June 25th, only a few days after the two triplets died, a newborn boy in Lucy's care had his oxygen levels drop dangerously low and his heart rate plummeted. And this is just the day after where she's supposed to take the day off. Now, luckily, the boy made a full recovery. But by that time, it was hard to deny the connection between these medical tragedies, in quotes, and Lucy's presence. An investigation was ordered in which everyone who worked in the unit would be placed under clinical supervision while the unit was assessed. So each person kind of one at a time. Interestingly, Lucy volunteered to go first. So Lucy Leppi was moved from the neonatal unit to the risk and patient safety office doing administrative work, while at the very same time, the neonatal unit scaled back and lessened its staff because it was no longer going to handle babies under 32 weeks. Finally. You know, I don't know if that was a plan before or because of this, to be honest with you, but in November of 2016, after a review of the neonatal unit, the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health announced that no obvious factors could explain the increased deaths, but the investigation, quote, did uncover significant gaps in medical and nursing rotas and insufficient staffing for the provision of longer-term high dependency and some intensive care. So what they're saying here is that we can't find one person who did it. Rather, it's systematic failure. Essentially, the unit was understaffed, leading to gaps in service and leadership. The devastated parents of those newborns who died were told that no one person was at fault and no source of their deaths could be identified. Why are they so quick to assume that this wasn't preventable? Nobody wants to take the fall. Like the hospital doesn't want to take the fall for it, I'm assuming. Liability. Oh, well, there's always a liability issue. Yeah. And I'm not sure that they were saying that it wasn't preventable. I think what they're saying is that it could have been prevented if there was more staff, but we just can't say that one person was responsible. Gotcha. Okay. So it's a systemic failure. Exactly. Now, as it pertains to Lucy, with no evidence of any misconduct or crime and with no further justification for her removal from the unit, Lucy Leppi filed a grievance against her employers. She wanted to be put back in the neonatal unit, and her grievance was upheld. Doctors who had alleged her involvement in these incidents, get this, were ordered by the hospital, or rather Chief Executive Tony Chambers, to apologize formally to Lucy, and they had to do so in writing. It seems like the hospital's just trying to avoid civil action. Some might say that, but I have to tell you, when I looked in the case as well, there were a lot of people that stood up for Lucy that truly did not believe that Lucy could have done this. 
She was very sweet. She got along with everyone. She was very affable. She seemed like a hard worker. She did not appear, and this is the problem, especially when we look at serial killers, they don't look like monsters or they don't appear that way. They appear normal to many of us. Couldn't they have just made sure that she was never left alone with a patient as a way to mitigate this? I suppose they could have, but again, some people suspected her. An investigation cleared her, and some people really believed her. Well, I guess the other side of this would be... You know, there is a reason why you can't just search people's homes. There are reasons why you can't just arrest people, right? There needs to be a burden of proof that's met. But I think in this case, it's just very clear. And we're talking about children's lives. And let me tell you something. I think you're right. And despite the investigation's findings, there were people at the hospital now who were so suspicious of Lucy's involvement in these unexplained deaths. And upon hearing that she was cleared and she'd be returning, they decided it was time to take action. And by May of 2017, the Cheshire police were alerted to concerns over Lucy's association with the increased mortality of infants in this unit and the perceived lack of hospital action, just as you said. The police were absolutely astounded by what they learned from cooperating doctors and nurses, and they felt that they had enough evidence to make an arrest. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. So on July 3rd, 2018, Lucy Leppi was arrested at her home. Though police were investigating 17 suspicious infant deaths and 15 life-threatening collapses in which Lucy had been present, her arrest at the time was only for eight deaths and six attempted murders. And we know this happens if they don't have enough evidence to make a connection between all the cases. In their search of Lucy's home, police found many diary entries written by Lucy that were very concerning, Amy. Have you heard of these diary entries? I have not read them. I heard a little bit about them, but I'm curious what they say. So some of them read, I'm evil. One that was particularly damning read, I killed them on purpose because I'm not good enough to care for them. And I'm a horrible, evil person. Another line said... You will never have children or marry. Then it said, I will never know what it's like to have a family. There were other scrawlings that showed a very sad person filled with circled words like hate and phrases like kill me and why me circled several times. Does she have a history of suicidal ideation or mental illness? She did not. No, I will talk about her history, but no. In total, the police found 257 pages of medical documents as well in Lucy's personal possessions. So what were these medical documents? Well, many of them related to the babies who died or almost died. But they were interesting because they were like their resuscitation sheets and their blood gas readings. Some might say very bizarre for her to have. Yeah. Lucy could easily say, though, hey, these were medical documents. I just put them in my bag and I forgot to file them. I don't know. All the evidence together is not looking good. Well, then you won't like next that it was also shown that Lucy was searching the families on Facebook, um, the ones who lost their children. 
Was she on Facebook looking at the families before the babies passed away or afterwards? No, this was afterwards. It seemed that she was following them afterwards, almost like following their grief. Mm -hmm. She saved an image of a sympathy card she sent to one of the families of a deceased infant's parents. It was like, I'm so sorry kind of card that she sent. I mean, but these, you know, these notes and these documents, they weren't really a smoking gun. And Lucy was allowed out on bail. But she found herself subsequently arrested again in June 2019 in connection with additional attempted murders. But she was able to get bail a second time again. Finally, in November 2020, Lucy Lepi was arrested for a third and final time when she was remanded to custody. Ultimately, Lucy Lepi was indicted for seven counts of murder and 15 counts of attempted murder. Lucy denied all charges against her and opted to go to trial. I'm assuming by the third time they arrested her, they felt like they had enough evidence to really move this thing forward. Yeah, they absolutely did. They had enough evidence. They had more counts. And I think they were able to make a case at this time that releasing her was really posing a danger to the public. Mm -hmm. Lucy Lepi's trial commenced in October of 2022. I'm going to do things a little backwards today, Amy, but you'll see why. I'm going to start with her defense. Lucy took the stands in her own defense. She denied ever harming the babies, saying there was a clear conspiracy to blame her by doctors who were covering up the failings of the hospital. She said it was clear there has to be a fall guy in these situations, right? The hospital can't assume liability, and she was the fall guy. Not a terrible defense. Lucy told the court that she took an oath to do no harm and she would never have harmed any baby in her care. I think she also explained what happened to her at childbirth and how it inspired her to help kids. Mm -hmm. Her defense pointed out also, so this was a good point, Lucy had worked at that hospital for several years before babies began to die. So why would she all of a sudden begin murdering them? Because she had some sort of mental break. Something happened. Possible, but they'd have to show what that was. All they were saying was that, look, she didn't just come to the hospital and babies started dying. She worked there four years before any baby died, and she worked in that unit. Okay. The defense alleged also that these were already high-risk babies to begin with, whose health conditions were failed due to understaffing and with too many babies on the unit and just other hospital-related failings. Now, I have questions, but I'm assuming it... Once you get to the prosecution's case, it'll all come out. Yes. Okay. Yes. So give me two or three more points by the defense. The defense pointed out that not one person ever saw Lucy actually do anything wrong to any of the babies and that there was not one piece of direct evidence to show that she did. Okay. Also, I mean, the defense, you know, their job is to zealously advocate, and I think they're making fair points here. Mm Mm-hmm. As for the letters, they said they were that of a sad and depressed woman who felt guilty, of course, when babies died. So that's why she said they died because I wasn't good enough to care for them. Valid point. She felt inadequate and bad because she couldn't save them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are all valid points. So really, they were just concluding with the, the fact that there was just no proof that Lucy had ever harmed one child. But the prosecution presented multiple witnesses who testified against Lucy and other circumstantial evidence. So I want to break this evidence down into categories here and how the prosecution responded. First of all, they start off with point number one. Lucy is the only common denominator and there were doctors that were concerned early on. Mm -hmm. Lucy's former colleagues testified to the obviously high number of infant deaths and they all correlated with only Lucy Lepi's care. And that was the strong point, not just that Lucy was with all of them, that there was no other person 
on staff on days on every single other incident related day. I'm assuming there were no deaths on days that Lucy was not in the hospital. I believe there were deaths, but I believe that the initial incident started when she was there. Gotcha. So she could have gave a baby some sort of medication, then left for the night and something happened overnight. Correct. Exactly. Mm -hmm. One former colleague testified that Lucy had been spending time with infants that she was not assigned to, even when she had several of her own babies to care for, and that those infants, their health always declined in Lucy's presence. Perhaps some of the most damning testimony came from Dr. Ravi Jayaram, a doctor in the unit who claimed to have sounded alarm bells after he found Lucy standing over a baby who couldn't breathe and watched as she offered zero medical care before he took over. Further, the head of the neonatal unit, Dr. Breary, said that he grew critically worried after two of the three triplet boys died in the unit. Remember those triplets I told you about? stating that they were well on the road to recovery. He further testified that on one occasion, when he was talking to Stephen Cross, the hospital's director of corporate affairs and legal services, Cross said that contacting the police would be terrible for the hospital's reputation and would turn the neonatal unit into a crime scene, which is why no one apparently called sooner. Terrible that these hospital concerns, appearance, money outweigh any real concerns for the fact that children were dying at alarmingly high rates in their unit. It's absolutely shocking. One victim told a story of hearing her baby scream and running over to find Lucy with the baby who was bleeding from the mouth. Hysterical, of course, because this mother had no idea what was happening. Lucy told her to leave and basically said, trust me, I'm the nurse. The mother, confused and scared, did as Lucy told her, and her baby died. And get this, Amy, oh, Lucy later bathed her baby one last time while the mother cried in agony. It also came out at trial that Lucy sent a sympathy card to the parents of another newborn she allegedly murdered, inside writing the following. Remember I told you she took a copy, okay. Yeah. There are no words to make this time any easier. It was a real privilege to care for your child and get to know you as a family, a family who always put your child first and did everything possible for her. She will always be part of your lives and we will never forget her. Thinking of you today and always. Lots of love, Lucy. Mm. It's very cruel. I think it's a very cruel aspect. Or you might say she's just trying to cover it up. Or maybe she's grieving too. Okay. Not sounding like that, but... Okay. Uh, Next piece of evidence, the injections of the babies. Examinations of the babies after they died showed that some had excessively high levels of insulin that never could have been produced naturally. Mm -hmm. The prosecution elicited testimony from their experts that some infants had died also due to air embolisms that were injected into their blood which blocks the passage of blood to arteries and or veins. They refer to the sudden collapses of the children, discoloration of skin, and other factors that correlated with embolism. There was also testimony that one baby who survived was overfed with milk to extreme excess. So force feeding as a method to make them violently sick or kill them. Jeez. Right? Yeah. However, the defense claimed the prosecution was relying on two experts who claimed that embolisms were a method used by Lucy, but they had not shown that the criteria was necessarily met in all cases. So there is a criteria to show embolisms. There has to be evidence of an IV insertion, discoloration of the skin, sudden collapse, presence of air in the great vessels of the heart, 
and unsuccessful resuscitation efforts. So these were factors that were associated with the babies, but the defense said that this criteria was applied inconsistently to the cases and was very hard to explain in cases where the babies survived. I'm curious, is the defense suggesting that all of these babies died of natural causes or are they suggesting that someone else at the hospital is doing this? No, they're suggesting that not necessarily natural, but yeah, they were sort of neglected Mm -hmm. and things that should have been done were not done. Mm -hmm. So they are saying that it's the hospital's fault. But isn't there evidence? But I don't think they were claiming that there's someone else responsible. I think they went with the idea that it was subpar care, um, Mm -hmm. cutting corners maybe. But if I'm understanding it correctly, some of the the babies that were murdered were found with high levels of insulin that could not have been naturally produced. Right. Suggesting that there had to be something nefarious. Or suggesting that there was incompetent staff who were giving babies gotcha. insulin. They weren't By paying accident. Pro- okay. proper attention to them. Yes. Okay. The prosecution also had those diary entries, proof that Lucy had been stalking the families on social media. You might call it. Some might say following. They would say stalking. And proof that she had copies of many of the dead children's medical reports in her home. Well, Amy, the trial was long, lasting 10 months with the amount of witnesses the prosecution brought in to testify against Lucy. And it was a jury trial, is that correct? It was. And it took the jury 22 days to deliberate. Wow. Yes. Whoa. <laughs> a lot, right? I mean, I'm, I'm glad they're, they're taking it so seriously, but... That's a long time. That would lead me to think that they would be headed towards an acquittal. Well, I think they also, I mean, they had 10 months of testimony as well. Thousands and thousands of pages to review. So it's a lot. I mean, they had to just, go, it probably took them days just to line up the evidence again. But after those 22 days when they reached a verdict, they found Lucy Leppe guilty of the murder of seven babies and the attempted murder of six others. Wow. Now, Lucy refused to be present at her sentencing, which outraged her victims. Uh, Did you hear this? I'm assuming the victims were all giving statements and she probably just didn't want to hear it. Yeah. Um, Well, we can talk about that in a little bit, too. But she just did not want to be present. And yes, they were all giving statements. And they gave some heart-wrenching statements. Of course, one father said Lucy was the devil. His daughter survived only to be left blinded with brain damage and having to be fed through a tube. After what happened to her at the hands of Lucy, others spoke to the devastation of praying to God for help only to learn that the one person who they turned to to save their child was the devil. One mother who conceived via in vitro fertilization said no children were wanted more than hers. And her biggest regret was that Lucy was the last one to bathe and clothe her child prior to his death. They really were heart wrenching. In her absence, Lucy Leppi was sentenced to prison for the rest of her life. It's called whole life. No possibility of parole. No possibility of parole. There has been a strong demand, uh, one under consideration, that convicted offenders must attend sentencing hearings to face the victims and their families. Lucy Leppi is currently the most prolific serial killer of children in modern day United Kingdom. For its part, the hospital's top executives were replaced and cooperated with the investigation, making public apologies to the families. They have claimed changes, but I do not know the specific changes at the hospital. I know that an inquiry into their role in these avoidable tragedies is still underway. 
The pain that Lucy Lepi caused is far-reaching and will have implications on so many people and their families for years and years to come. The story is, I mean, it's, it's terrible. They really are awful crimes, and it's really, really hard to understand. I want to talk about, I want to get into possible motives here. Do you have a question? Yeah, I want to know, is there a psych evaluation during trial? I believe there was a psych evaluation. Um, Lucy Leppi had a very minor uh, history of depression. Mm-hmm. Nothing that was suggested would have perpetrated this. I want to say also, she has a history of depression, but we don't know how severe it was. I don't know how well documented it was. does seem from her writings that she had very low self-esteem and she did not like herself. It's what I gathered from the writings that I read, but... Mm-hmm. Um, there was not a serious history, though, uh, or at least a substantial history of mental illness or treatment in her past. How does she compare to other healthcare killers? Hold that thought. I'll we'll get to it at the end, okay? Okay, sure. A couple of potential motives here. One was that she wanted the attention of the doctor she was involved with. Like I said above, Lucy appeared to have some type of relationship with a married doctor who responded to some of the infant deaths. Now, he also responded to some of the the deaths in the unit. He comforted her via text messages afterwards, remember stating that he would trust her with his own children and always comforting her, saying it was not her fault. And remember, she had text messages with others where she wanted, or she said that it was very hard. She didn't understand how some of the children lived and others died. And there was some comforting by those colleagues. So one potential motive or question we ask is, Munchausen's? Is that what you're getting at? Yes. Could this be factitious disorder imposed on another, formerly known as Munchausen by proxy? Which is very rare, might I add. Very rare. As our listeners may know, we discussed in a previous episode, Munchausen is when someone intentionally makes themselves sick or feigns illness or injury to receive attention. When it's by proxy or factitious disorder on another, it means that they are making someone else sick or appear to be sick or they are injuring them for the purposes of also attention. And a good example would be D.D. Blanchard, correct? Yes, yes. Dee Dee, uh, Gypsy Rose Blanchard's mother would mm-hmm. be a good example mm-hmm. in this case. And we covered on a previous episode, Lacey Spears. She was yes. also um, mm-hmm. someone who had factitious disorder mm-hmm. imposed on another. Second motive is that Lucy was playing God. Well, she made a statement to a colleague about one child saying, he's not leaving here alive, is he? And it seemed that she may have made that kind of statement or had that kind of tone about children, almost indicating that she did not expect them to leave alive, even for children that had not died. So would you say almost like a mercy killing? Playing God in a mercy killing, it can be one and the same, but I'm going to talk about the mercy killing aspect in a minute. And this Um, is like Kevorkian, right? Playing God is more about uh, power and control, I would say. People who revel in thinking they have a God complex. Gotcha. So it's not because she wanted to eliminate pain and suffering the way some healthcare killers claim they're doing. Well, that's true. And that was another potential motive. They Mm -hmm. are babies in the neonatal unit. So was she an angel of mercy type killer like um, Charles Cullen purported to be? So he was a nurse who killed patients claiming that he wanted to spare them pain. Now, there was evidence that he enjoyed killing at some point, but his initial motive appeared to be sparing them a certain amount of pain. So this is certainly a possibility, Amy. I will say the children that she killed were the ones that were doing well and were scheduled to go home with their parents. So it'd be harder to look at that. Yeah. Okay. So that doesn't really 
Another possible motive the prosecution suggested was boredom. Lucy admitted on the stands that she found it much less stimulating to care for babies who didn't require as much care. She just found that kind of work boring. She gravitated towards those who required medical attention. So if that were true, then I think it's safe to say that she's a psychopath or a sociopath. And some say that she is a psychopath. Well, I, I saw mm-hmm. that debated among a number of forensic mm-hmm. psychologists, just so you know. Some cl- said she clearly displays traits of psychopathy. Some said she is not a psychopath at all. So I think this is going to be one of those conversations, you know, which diagnosis do we agree with? A final motive that's been suggested, Amy, is jealousy. Remember, Lucy had all those writings about how she did not feel that she would ever get married. She didn't feel that she would have children. She did not think that she was worthy of a family. So was this the case that she was so jealous that she would not have one that she took families from other people who did? So while Lucy was only 33 years old, Amy, and from what I know, biologically capable of having children, she didn't seem to engage in real relationships. She had social outlets and friends, but it didn't seem like she had Mm -hmm. romantic relationships until this one person who was married. So she finally makes a connection after so many years, and it's not even someone she can have. So maybe she was feeling that way. Maybe she was jealous of his wife for the family Mm -hmm. they had together. Okay, now that I've given you all the possible motives and you've had some idea and you've asked some good questions here, I'm going to give you what my opinion is considering all the suggested motives and how I would put this together. This is what I think at this moment. I think that Lucy Leppi was a seemingly normal woman on the outside, a clever mask. She was able to hide a lot of pain, jealousy, fear, and I think fear of inadequacy inside. I don't think most people saw that side of her. I don't think she felt like she was going to meet anyone. I think she was depressed about the fact that she didn't see a future of having a family. And so while I do believe that she went into nursing to help children, I don't think she went in with any harmful intentions. After several years working there and after several years of not establishing her own relationship, I think she came to resent these families. I think she saw families who were possibly had a crisis, but then they were healed. The babies were healed and these families were able to complete their family. They had joyous births. And I think she saw them talking about their futures and then what they were going to go on to do. And I, I do think that it bothered her. I think she was very jealous. I think she basically decided that she, if she wasn't going to have that, she was going to take it from them. And I have a feeling that she was shocked at how easy it was for her at first. And she probably had what some serial killers experience in terms of She had that almost dopamine. She was reveling in the thrill and the pain that she was able to do this. She was able to kill a child and she was able to cause pain on the families immediately. And I think she, I have a feeling she enjoyed it and she didn't feel remorseful. And and that is the problem right there. Mm. I think Lucy Lepi is also a sadist. It's not just that she revels in the pain that she causes to the babies. There's also the reveling in the pain she causes to the parents, I believe. But also, I think what probably was the biggest motivator or what made her feel the best was the destruction of the family unit. That family would never recuperate and they would never have their happy ending. It just so happens, I think, that these acts wound up binding her tighter to her love interest, which might have also been the impetus for why she began killing if she developed this love interest at the time and her jealousy and her animosity came to the surface. So while she may not have expected it, she suddenly had comfort 
from this man. It suddenly made him feel closer to her and her closer to him. And so suddenly what she has is this pain that she's causing brings her pleasure instead. Do you know what I mean? She, mm. The pain of others is actually having yeah. a positive benefit on her. People are paying attention to her and they are saying, you know, how wonderful she was. So it wasn't like the attention that some people get when they try to bring babies to the brink. You know, they bring them to the brink and then they resuscitate them and they're seen as the hero. Mm -hmm. I don't think that was ever part of Lucy's plan. And I don't think that's the kind of attention she wanted. But I do think she enjoyed the attention she got afterwards. And honestly, because it felt so good to her, it becomes addictive. And so killing babies in the way that she did and increasing the speed with which she was doing so is really about needing more to feed that addiction. So that is what I essentially think about Lucy Lepi in the end. I will say also, one more thing, we see differential reinforcement here. She kept getting away with it. People kept standing up for her. The hospital had to apologize. Doctors do. So she gets more and more emboldened because of this. I mean, all of that makes sense in this. You know, this is one of those crimes that I don't think there's any explanation for. It's, it's just so shocking. I think what you're saying does make sense and I could see it fitting, but it just seems so outrageous to me that the only... I, I know there's no evidence, but it, it almost I almost want to say it's like dissociative identity disorder just because it seems so outrageous. It's it's like it's so hard to explain the unexplainable. Like in this situation, I don't see I just can't see the motive, although you paint an interesting picture. I see how that fits, but it's just so beyond comprehension how somebody could do this. That's the problem. It's not that it's unexplainable. I mean, it's that the explanation is outrageous, that it's almost unacceptable. Yes. You can't accept it. It's hard. Yeah. Look, this case, by the way, although everyone, uh, although it was so highly suggested, was really difficult. I have to say the research was very difficult on, on many levels and then digging into every bit of the possible motives here. Yeah. because It's troubling. It's really hard at the end to have these kind of motives uh, and, and to not want to believe it's possible. It almost makes me think maybe there's a there's got to be like a biological explanation, something that we can't see because, you know, we, when we teach theories, we look at sociological explanations. We look at, you know, social process theories. You mentioned differential reinforcement. It just seems like nothing in what we know about her. There is like, if you told me that maybe she lost a baby or, you know, like even then, I don't think it would make sense, but it just seems like there's something missing for us to understand this because it's so outrageous. I think you just don't want to accept it. And that's why you need a biological explanation on this one. Maybe. it's I Look, know. it is possible that we don't know, yeah. but I think it's just too hard for you to accept this one that you... you it doesn't make sense. Yeah. You're thinking there must be something else. <laughs> Hey, listen, this is the best I could do with the information that I have now and what we have in the public. And I think it makes sense given this, but yeah. it's possible we'll, we'll learn more. She's just sentenced. Mm -hmm. She's still young. She might talk. There might be way more information to come. Do you see any situation in which it's possible that she did not do this? No. Yeah, I don't either. I do not. I was trying hard to look for it. Yeah, but. Even though it's circumstantial, I think it's overwhelming circumstantial evidence, and I absolutely believe she's responsible. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I guess that answers, in terms of the system apprehending the right person and punishing the right person, mm -hmm. with a thorough, I think, investigation, and um, once the police got a hold of it in that trial, yes, this is the best we can hope for, and yes, I think this was justice in that regard, but let's talk about justice as it pertains to the hospital. 
it was the bureaucracy of hospital politics, the system that failed these families and their children. Mm -hmm. The red flags commonly occurring with healthcare killers were all there, Amy. You asked about how she 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 compares to other healthcare killers. Mm-hmm. So you have patient deaths that are unexpected. Even though these patients were in a premature unit, all of them were predicted to be doing well and their uh, health was improving. Fellow employees report suspicious activity by individuals and there are reports of individual providers being seen with the patient prior to death. Another big red flag, and this was a mm-hmm. common theme in Lucy's case. Another flag, this one did not pertain to her. Staff members are transferred after deaths. Now, again, this didn't happen because administrators really stuck by Lucy defending her. In in some ways, this might be the reason she did not go on to other hospitals and become one of the healthcare killers that usually roams from place to place to place and, and goes undetected because of that. The bottom line here is that we might not know or fully be able to ever understand the motives, as I think you clearly demonstrated, um, of serial murderers like Lucy Lepi. But what we do know is that the red flags are almost always there. So in, in the regard that there are many ways in which she fits the profile, I'd say the two ways that are she kind of a little bit make her different is that she wasn't doing this um, as an angel of mercy, I don't believe. I don't think she was mm-hmm. trying to save anyone. I also don't think the attention she was trying to get was typical of healthcare killers. The ones who want attention usually want attention for being like the hero. Mm-hmm. So it was a little bit different that way. In general, hospitals who ignore this type of these type of tragedies and ones that, you know, there's a clear suspect involved, they do it for the fear of looking bad. But I think that they wind up looking a lot worse once it's revealed that they prioritized appearances and money over patients. Yeah. At the expense of helpless babies. At the expense of helpless babies. So I hope the main takeaway here today is to follow the red flags instead of turning a blind eye. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you everyone who suggested today's case. It was quite a difficult one, but I learned so much along the way and we hope you did as well. Yes, Thank you so much, Megan. I didn't know, I, I thought I knew the story, but I really didn't. And I'd be curious what our listeners think because I know there's a camp of people that think she's innocent, and I do not see any evidence to suggest that. So I'm curious if there's something we don't know here or what. Well, it's possible that they're seeing the fact, uh, as her defense pointed out, that she was a dutiful employee. Kids were fine in her care for many years, and there is no direct evidence. And it doesn't mean there's not a doubt. I just happen to think they do have the right person Mm -hmm. responsible. And I can say for further proof, possibly... The deaths stopped after Lucy left. And I believe there's mm-hmm. been something. They did change the unit, but I think it was something like maybe one death in seven years after Lucy stopped working there. Mm-hmm. So maybe those numbers speak for themselves. Yep. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today. And we'll see you next week on Women in Crime. Women in Crime is hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Music composition is by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can also support the show through Patreon, where you can get access to additional ad-free content such as virtual happy hours and an extra full-length episode each month. For more information, visit patreon.com slash womenincrime.
sources for today's episode include People.com, The Mirror, Sky News, The Guardian, The Independent, and BBC.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.